Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Yeah, some texture some flavor that's the best way of putting it isn't it hang on i've got your burp on this that's we'll cut it there and start oh yeah just yeah uh, use that as a loop (laughs) yeah every time you want to edit just put in the belch i'll just put in the belch to cover up any swearing or anything like that (laughs) swearing Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry Podcast, episode 102. For those of you new to the show, I'm comedian Simon Kane, and this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today is no different. Today I'll be talking to legendary comedian, writer, and podcaster Doug Stanhope. This is a Swapcast episode, so welcome to all the new listeners and downloads who have come across from his podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much for stopping by and for giving this podcast a go. Massively appreciate it. For those of you who don't know, Doug Stanhope is a comedian who has been performing for the better part of 30 years. He started out like pretty much all comedians on the open mic circuit and then moved to emceeing a quote-unquote crappy hotel gig, which gave him a taste of being a comedian with a point of view. We talk about how he managed to find his point of view, find his voice, find his character persona. He's not a character, but find his way of being on stage and the way that he mediates that through alcohol which is something that I find really interesting in the way that I have quite a weird relationship with alcohol but also a lot of people over in England think that alcohol makes them funnier when they're on stage and the majority of them I don't think it does but with Doug it does and it's a a really great act and it's an amazing way of being on stage for him that is both inspiring interesting and always thought-provoking i had a great time talking to him over a few drinks and i hope that you enjoy this as well if you're new here please do remember to hit that subscribe button if you're old here please do remember to give us an honest ideally positive review in itunes and either way please do join the facebook group it's called rc industry podcast and it's on facebook obviously quick thank yous to louise kovacs steve mccann and Brian Hennigan for making this interview happen. I couldn't have done it without you guys, and I massively appreciate all your hard work. But now, without any more delays, this is Doug Stanhope. Um, so I figured... <coughs> you okay? Excuse me if I'm a difficult interview on this kind of stuff, but I'm not trying to be. I might be a cunty, but don't take it personal. <laughs> I, I personally won't take it personally. I, I don't know how anyone listening might, but that's, that's on them. <laughs> 
Um, I figured the best place to start would be where when you started out in comedy, how long did it take you to become pro at comedy and how did you define that? Well, pro, uh, just like uh, the Olympics is where you get to take off the protective headgear <laughs> and the oversized gloves. But no, I mean, technically pro is when you first get paid. So I, I was technically pro in my first ridiculously short amount of time in that I think it was six or seven months before I went from my first open mic and I moved to Phoenix and got a a gig as a house MC at a a comedy club that was in a hotel. So I I wasn't getting paid, but I was getting a free uh, hotel room. I got to live there and I would do admin stuff and then I'd be the house MC and I'd, you know, do comment card shit and... But I was living for that was I was a fucking pro. I didn't have to have a job. Like I was, you know, the cook in the kitchen would give me f- free food here and there. And was that was that the aim then when you started just to just to be able to live off of telling jokes or was it? No, the aim was uh, f- first open mic is to get laughs. <laughs> I wasn't a crazy person like someone who goes to karaoke and thinks their fucking rendition of Little Red Corvette is going to be noticed by a big agent. <laughs> Uh, but I, I just got really lucky at that time, and uh, I fell into stuff. And once I got that house MC gig, then I was working with regular touring comics, even though they were touring the shittiest circuits. They'd go, "Oh, you should work for David Tribble and do these Montana, Wyoming, you know, Eastern Washington gigs." And now I'm getting 125 bucks a night, living out of my piece of shit car. And so yeah, I was a pro back then, as far as I was concerned. I didn't. I mean, I wasn't good, but I was going, hey, I'm well, fucking, I'm doing this for a living. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, was it frustrating in a way to see pro acts come through and you almost, did you did you feel a little bit eclipsed or did you feel a little bit frustrated that you weren't as good and yet you were you were living the same life as it or you were living a certain... Well, no, no I... Uh, <laughs> the fucking sirens. So, okay, you, you, Here high atop the fucking filthy streets of London. Uh, no, I felt, I always felt, uh, God, I almost wanted to use the word blessed. <laughs> I was lucky as Family. fuck to, yeah, I'm yeah. living out, out of my car, but hey, I get a free hotel when I get to Billings, Montana, yeah. and uh, yeah, they give me free cheese cubes at the happy hour buffet, and I mean, how many comedians were there around at that time? Not nearly as many as today, which is weird because it was still kind of the end of the comedy boom where there were you know there were still network tv shows in prime time that just did stand-up uh and i but i I, again memory fails you after so many years but it seems when i started open mics in vegas which is you know this it's this coffin of like vegas gets either really big acts or Acts that used to be really big that are now settling to roost to die in Vegas. But as far as it, you know, starting in Vegas, the open mic scene was s- seemingly desolate. And I, I think I did six open mics my second week in stand-up. Like, there were that many rooms going and that few comics. It seemed like there were maybe a dozen comics. And now you go to an open mic and they'll have like 30, 40, 50 guys going up and you get three minutes. So so in many ways, when you started, it was kind of, 
not, it was kind of the right time in order for you to go pro quickly because there wasn't much competition. So in your own admission, you didn't have to be that well, good. In, in Vegas, especially in open mics, if I started in LA, I'm sure it would have been a lot more competitive or any other city. But Vegas specifically, I didn't know any better. It was kind of the best and worst place to start because when I started, there, there was no interaction between a professional comedian those guys were all on the strip. They don't let fucking the open micers hang out like they do at a comedy club where you can hang out in the back and watch guys. So the open mic lived in a vacuum where you didn't even know. I remember Geechee Guy coming to our open mic night uh, when they tried to make it a pro-am club and they'd get one act from the Riviera to come between shows, do a quick set as a headliner, and then they'd race him back for his next show. And he had a heckler... And he was this soft-touch version of the joke uh, of, hey, I don't come down to where you work and unplug the Slurpee machine, which is the you know, least caustic version of that <laughs> bit. But the back of the room fell out. Comics fell out. They'd never heard like that heckler come back because they're so estranged from professional comedy. And then the next week, of course, every open micer had a variation that they, they didn't really steal because it's different. But... Mm. but uh, but that's how little you know, uh, connection that you had to professional touring comics. It wasn't until I moved to Phoenix, where I was actually working with touring comics, that I go, oh, you should you know, call this guy. and Yeah, you'll have to drive 14 hours to the first gig, and it's not going to pay that much. I don't care if it pays. I'm, fucking, I'm doing this for a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you're at a stage where you can, you can seemingly gig where you like because you have a big enough fan base. And I suppose when you were starting out, they weren't because they, they weren't coming for you. There, there's an element of freedom in that, but there's also an element of uh, I, I suppose is there, do you feel more accountable now to be entertaining that people are paying to come see you specifically than when you were? Yeah, no, no. Now all the pressure's on you. Once like that, that's what that's where the 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 worm turned is when people started coming to see me, and I go, oh shit, I can't have the same act like I used to when I was just a comedian in a comedy club when people had a free ticket for comedy. So no. what were you doing when you were in a club? Like I remember taking full advantage of that lack of uh, you know, putting any kind of legwork into going to, you know, you, you bust your ass for you know, five days, ten hours a day, and then you get a coupon for the thing you're going to do on Friday night. And you, you don't put any research into it. So I would love it when bachelorette parties would show up, someone's fucking anniversary, and they think all comedy is going to be the one guy they saw, Johnny Carson, and they, they see my act, and I would, I'd relish in walkouts. Like, fuck <laughs> you. You should have fucking known what you're coming to see. You got to give me the fucking queer eye. But how, so now you can research that by, like, going on YouTube or checking out their podcast or whatever it would be. Well, now the ticket price is enough. No one's going to fucking stumble in <laughs> off the street. There's no free coupons anymore for comedy for a Doug Stanhope show. So, yeah, yeah generally, the, the only time you get people upset is usually seethingly quiet when they get drugged by their boyfriend or co-worker <laughs> and it's definitely not what they wanted to see but they're outnumbered by a fucking rabble-rousing gang of fucking yahoos 
Do you, I mean, when you so when you perform for your own audience, there's an element of it where I, th- I think you must feel this when you go and see comedians you like. Is like you kind of are, are primed to laugh because you know their style, you know what they're going for and stuff. Do you ever try and perform in clubs or try and perform in rooms that maybe people don't know you in to try and get no, a better reaction? No, uh, no, I know Louis C.K. was a big proponent of that. He would go. You know, a lot of those guys, most of those guys, Attell and Rogan, they go do sets at the comedy store, the comedy cellar, to whoever's there in a small room to see if this is going to work for a general audience that's not predetermined, predisposed to love them. And I, I don't do that. I've worked fucking hard enough to get my small slice of the pie of the fucking lunatic fringe that appreciates me. And I, I don't want to know that this isn't going to work in a real audience. I'm aware of it, but I don't need to be showing that on a daily basis. I'm not playing to a regular audience. I'm playing to my people, and I have enough. I don't need to broaden my fan base. Well, how, when so when did you start thinking I want to? I need to generate my own base of people. Like, what, what point did you start? And also, how did you start like communicating with them? What was what was on offer then? Well, uh, Al Gore invented the internet. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me a Hotmail address. That was, <laughs> uh, you're still on Hotmail? Yeah, I, I, someone built me a website and got a mailing list, so I would, hey, we loved you in fucking Portland, and and then I'd put them in a folder for Portland, and then I realized I don't have to do that shit comedy club where <laughs> it's like a TGI comedies where they, they look at the comment cards the next day. The fucking owner wasn't even at the show, but he, you got some bad comment cards, and I go, I don't give a fuck. I realized I'm playing for shit money, a small percentage in his room. But if I got just the actual fans, if I'm doing eight shows in a week for that asshole, and in every show there's five or ten people that are actually there to see me, I can get all those people for one night for the same money in a bar. I get the door, and we started doing that. And I, you know, sloppily, yeah. you know, cobble together a mailing list. I was never a good business guy, but I could, you know, put them in a f- hotmail folder and go, "Okay, Portland, email everyone there and say you're coming to Dante's." So h- how did you find those people though? Like cuz you must have done the gigs in those cities in order to well, find them in that. Well, they communicate city. with me. They'd send me an email and say, "Hey, we loved you or hey, we saw you're playing, can't wait to see you again." So this was a time when uh social this wasn't social media time. No, this is just straight off your, you know, contact page on your website and how and how how is social media now made i assume that's made that a lot easier well then myspace is another game changer i fucking miss myspace really? myspace was great what was what was the plus point because i'm more of a twitter fan if i'm honest. I, now i am yeah. i still fucking loathe facebook but that's what everyone's <laughs> on but everyone was on there's a, a lot of little things like you could you could look up people by their interests uh, by uh, by uh, zip code. So if I'm playing Bismarck, North Dakota, put in a Bismarck, and uh, who are the smoker, drinker, <laughs> you know, uh, have interests in this and this, and then you could look them up and invite them to be your friend, and and then they go, who wants to be my friend? Oh, it's a comic. Oh, he happens to be coming here. It was and it was simple. You could blog on it. Like I still don't know my website now. I have a guy run it. I don't. I don't blog anymore because no one fucking reads them because of Facebook and Twitter. Is that is that why you moved to doing a podcast? Is that well? Yeah, that was the next progression. Mm. And and how? Well, I mean, let's, if we stick with like Twitter and place like that at the moment, how do you deal? Because obviously, your your 
in many ways it appears at least from the outside trying to to kind of keep to your bubble like keep to your audience and keep to your cocoon but obviously social media allows people who don't like you to to tell you that like how do you deal with yeah with that's why another reason i like twitter is it's easier to deal with the shitheads <laughs> first of all they're less likely to be on there when like facebook what i remember you'd you'd post something and then you'd have a million idiots chiming in and if they're shitting on you then other you know they they, they the thread goes off and there's replies to the other replies but that are no longer connected to the it's just too confusing Twitter, someone goes, hey, fuck you, you stink. I just hit retweet, and then my fans do all the fighting for me. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good base you have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, I've, they're I've, pretty strong. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and almost cult-like. I've heard, I've heard Brian refer to, to you as, uh, as uh, two people who are just trying to build a cult. And I suppose I wondered how you see your fans and how you see... Do, do, you, do you just look at it as they're, they're, they're kind of... I mean, because you've got quite a good relationship with them and, and you're, you're really empathetic towards, towards them. So what, what do you view... How do you view them as a base? I, well, the, the self-deprecating thing, it's, it's honest, is I don't get it. I don't think I'd really laugh at my act. Really? <laughs> Uh, I, I I know I we get a lot of uh, a lot of uh, unwell people, a lot of uh, you know angry, suicidal. You know, I, I I I'm sure I get more f- fan mail. I hate the expression, but like, hey, you kept me alive when I was gonna do the bad bad thing kind of emails than I'm sure most comics get. And I, I I appreciate that whatever hatred I'm selling is cathartic. Uh, so there's also ones that you go, uh, this person just doesn't get it. They're just hearing words, and they. Do, do you do you think you're a good comic then? Do you like the compliments because you're quite self-deprecating, and and I imagine that uh, it, it, none of that penetrates through that. So I, I wondered if it frustrates you to get a compliment or get a nice email or... or I ignore the nice ones. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of a, you know, a comedy cliche as you focus on the, the one person that isn't <laughs> laughing. And I always see that in the audience. There's one person who's there and you're just like, I need to either make you laugh or the night is going to be shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I, uh, I suppose we'd like... And I don't the, even care about making them laugh. I just hate them for being there. <laughs> but I suppose the bigger the audience, the more likely that there's going to be a percentage of come who don't like you or don't know what you do. Yeah, but uh, the bigger the audience, the less you can see them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Which I don't like. That's why I... I if I if the money were all the same, I'd play small rooms where you can control every corner and you can see every person that's there, not necessarily brightly lit. But if I hear someone yelling shit from the back row, I can see the back row. You're in a like do you play the fucking Hammersmith and some guy's trying to have a conversation with you from the balcony and you, he's yelling so loud that you can't tell if it's malicious yeah, yeah. and the accent is weird and you don't know what they're saying and they might more often than not they're yelling things they think are like they're usually on my side at this point or yeah. they're yelling an old bit or just some factoid they heard on the the podcast to let you know that hey we listen to the podcast and but you're not helping still so just shut the fuck up yeah totally 
So, so how do you try out new material then? Do you just do you just do it in smaller rooms to to the audience? Oh, I do uh, any new material I have. It's probably going to be the first thing out of my mouth. I'll front load a, a set with any kind of new shit. Because you've got quite a big burn rate as well. Because you, you, as I've heard you say before that you get, and I empathise massively, bored of telling a joke after a certain amount of times. Yeah. Because it's like, how can you not? I well, I've got, a, I, I mean, I've got a friend who's been doing the same set for about twenty years, and it's just because it sells, and he goes around the, and he likes his life. He just goes around the circuit doing. I've it. always I envied imagine, those guys. I couldn't imagine doing that. It would drive me insane. I can't imagine an audience that goes, "Oh, I can't wait to hear him do that fucking joke <laughs> twenty years in a row." Never gets old. I suppose it's not his or is he's doing the clubs. So, uh, it's, it's, so and those are the guys that I, I there's an envy to being able to be okay with that. Like a guy that can just go out, hey, I'm gonna do and here's the Jiffy Jeff, the football player character that I do. So what what's the what's the drive then for you then? Is it is it just just to be funny now? Is it money motivated? Is it just to, to the fans happy like what i wouldn't do this for free i'm not one of those comedians <laughs> where i go ah, just making an audience laugh or yeah, yeah. or just like uh, the guys i was talking about that go to the comedy mm. store to workout rooms for nothing just to just to do comedy fucking Attell couldn't ever go to a town without doing comedy he couldn't take a vacation oh yeah i and i understand i struggle with that quite a bit as well generally if i'm going away for a weekend i will see if there's a club to just jump on like or do something because it's why not you know but i i just wondered what what gets you out of bed because at the moment you've, you've just done some new books and and uh, you've, you've obviously got you're coming over here to do like european stuff as well so what what's what gets you out of bed what what excites you now because i feel like at a certain stage when you have an the, audience the the, the the thought of quitting <laughs> drives me if i can <laughs> just get through this uk tour and then do the two markets I haven't worked in the States, LA, New York, they're scheduled, and then I can just take the rest of my life off until I think, all right, that could be a bit, all right, this is, if I add that, I never recorded that, that could be an hour. All right, we can go to some shit towns and see what we got. But uh, yeah, the idea of never having to do this again. That's, that's a driving force. Is is that why you've started or, or you've written books recently? Because it's kind of more insular, and you just let it out into the world, and you don't have to travel and you know do a book. Yeah, tour but there's no money in books. There's no I mean, money I, yeah, I did the first one just because I was offered and uh, yeah, could have decent offer, and everyone wants to write a book. Yeah, but uh, I'm not going to do anything until I you know cash a check, and now I'm beholden. <laughs> yeah, to the contract. Yeah, I would never write a book and then try to sell it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh once I've got a deadline, I'm much more motivated to do stuff. Yeah, I need a deadline. Yeah, totally. So when you're so d- is it a case of like Brian says to you, "Oh, by the way, you've got a show in a month and it's an, and it's billed as the new show, not this one." And then you've just got to Oh, no, we we discuss it. Okay. Right now he's he's on red alert for uh, I'm not doing this anymore. I mean, this whole last, you know, you know, international. We did Southeast Asia, and then we did Australia, and then Canada, and then two days off to the UK, and you know, Ireland and Amsterdam, and just just the whole process of like getting visas, and then I have to drive to some fucking place and get micro chipped and fucking scanned and fingerprinted just to get a visa. Like I come, you don't want to do it. Come, it's just a pain in the ass. So, so would you just retire? 
or you would I'd you would do yeah i'd I don't know. There's a million things I could do. I could make my podcast a lot more professional. Put all that time and energy that I spend fucking lunking bags across borders and, you know, hey, let's write some fucking funny shit and some fake commercials and let's make this podcast into something. Uh, We have an idea for another book we have to do together, like about our whole business model. Mm. None of them pay as well as comedy and they're a lot more work except for starting that new hour like, yeah all right course. i like the set that i have right now and i've played it to almost every english speaking place i could bring it and it's gonna fucking die after this and then it's that that threat of writing a new hour it's almost easier to write a book when, when you when you start writing a new hour what does it start with an idea or does it start with one joke and then you build out from there what's what's the process well, generally after you've recorded something you still have like right now I have, you know, probably 15 minutes of bullshit about stuff that's happened on these last few tours. Yeah, just didn't fit in the show, yeah. Well, it's in the show now because it has to be because I get so fucking sick of the other stuff. But when I go to record it, I'll go back and do stuff I've dropped that I'm sick of. (laughs) A set set piece for the record. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then I'll save that. All right. I know I can't use this and, you know... Canada and the UK because I've already used it there but yeah. I can start over in the States uh, but it's uh, usually you have more of that and now I've I've been because of the you know the last book and other th- things that have come up in life I've been dragging this set this has been cobbled together over some of it. it's probably three years old you you strike me as someone who who likes performing but but maybe it's like it, it's because uh, I've heard you say in interviews before where you uh, write it in so it looks like it's off the cuff whereas uh, a lot of other performers and, and a big bugbear of you know when I'm performing is I feel sometimes I'm over rehearsed or I feel like I've you know gone over it too many times so I'm wondering whether you like the process of putting together bits more than going around with it well I, I, I like it when like it improvising comes on together on its own like it's I mean, half of it is sounds like it's off the top of my head because I'm trying to remember. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. ah, fuck, what am I missing in this? I know there's another beat to this that I like that I riffed last night. Before, Bingo used to come on the road with mm. me all the time, and she knows my act. So every night when I'd say something new, she'd take copious notes. So, Because listening to yourself is so <laughs> difficult. So it was so much easier for you said this and it was really funny and I've never heard you say that before. And you're like, all right, no, fucking noted, mm-hmm. got it. I like that too. Or no, I say that every night. What are you fucking retarded? <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening the last twelve yeah. weeks. So, so do you think do you think your memory is starting to fail you then in many ways, or is it like? Well, uh, yeah, it, it's just like any fucking computer. You only have so many gigabytes of. <laughs> Yeah, my memory fails me, and I perform drunk. Mm. That's how I can... Mediate that. Yeah, pull off. All right, hey, if I have four or five cocktails first, then I don't loathe these words so much. And I w- but I won't be now I won't be staring at someone looking at their watch saying that's a sign of boredom maybe I did this bit before that that voice goes away that voice of failure mm. and then you just sell the bits and you know come up with new tags and how 
this is like an odd question to quantify, but how drunk do you have to be before you want to go on? Because I'm assuming there's a certain level between blackout and just tipsy or, or that th- you have to kind of get to. Well, I've also been drinking nightly for 30 years, so I, what you would consider very drunk, I would go, all right. That's a Monday. That's a, now I'm on a, a, I'm on a nice plane here. Mm. I don't. I don't get. You know. So there's no like, uh, like lineup of drinks before you go on that you do. Or is it like the same cocktails every time? What's no, it is roughly. Yeah. You know, at this point, if, if I drink, you know, 15 drinks in a night, I'm I'm still fine. But I got to get to that place where I'm not, you know, just second guessing everything. Where I'm actually in the moment. Yeah. Blots out all those voices in your head that you think you're hearing from someone's you know some twist of their countenance makes you think oh they hate me i don't see that anymore so it's it's for you it's uh you you have to and i understand the whole being in the moment thing because it's frustrating sometimes when like i said being over rehearsed you're not in the moment you're just remembering lines and that and that can make the job a job rather than an enjoyable performance so is there anything else that I actually wrote about that in the last book that there's no there's no recipe sometimes you you write and you write and you get all your segues perfect and you you really do put that kind of effort into it but you're not counting on the waitress dropping a tray of drinks in that couple's mm-hmm. lap and then you're so into what you memorized that day that you can't come out of it, and when you do, you're fucked. And where was I? So, is there because you've taken drugs before and stuff? Do you ever go on stage on another form of intoxication, or is it only not alcohol? anymore? I, I never do drugs. I do drugs as prescribed now. Like <laughs> I take Xanax to sleep. <laughs> is it? I mean, is your only because uh, obviously it's for social anxiety as well as as being in the moment. Are there any other worries about? I mean, obviously, if you're thinking about stopping, they're probably mediating now just because you're thinking, well, I've only got four shows left or something. But in the past, have you ever worried about booking a certain venue in a city you've never been to and, and not selling it or, or, or having to travel no, there? No, I, no, I don't. That's Brian's job. He worries about <laughs> tickets. I don't give a shit. Uh, you don't mind if no one, like, it's not a, it's, it, obviously, that's a pain in the ass when you, if that happens, but I'm assuming it's not happened for a while. Well, no, especially in the States, we do a shit town tour, a place I've never played. Uh, I'll play you know, a 900 seater full to the rafters, and then the next night you're playing to 85 people in some roadhouse. And yeah, I, I, I don't mind either way. Do you feel do you feel more comfortable in, in sort of the quote unquote shittier venues than sort of yes. big prestige? What, what about that? Is it just... Again, it's easier to control a small room if they are going to get out of control. I don't I don't get... I, I get hecklers that are just too too drunk. Like they you know, start drinking at 2 o'clock in the afternoon for a fucking 9 p.m. show and, you, and they just try to have conversations with you. And I know I'm conversational on stage, but it's a one-sided, it's <laughs> like a Coke talk conversation. I'm the cokehead. I'm doing all the talking. You do all the listening. Yeah. Uh, and then it's not, it's very, very rarely that it's confrontational other than, listen, dude, 
you got to shut the fuck up and you're probably going to have to leave because you're beyond the point where I can you can't convince yourself to not be shit faced yeah and I can quiet you down for five minutes and you're going to forget so why don't you just throw yourself out and (laughs) that works a lot of the time I'm sure it does Um, in terms of like TV and and exposure to that sort of stuff I mean over here one of the bigger things you did was um, Charlie Brooker's uh, screen great editors he's amazing yeah but I'm saying if if you saw the uncut version (laughs) those rants sitting on a fucking airplane well, did you did you just sit there and edit it and send it over to them, and then they what was yeah, well they'd come over with a producer and a cameraman and get a local sound guy, and I got I fu- I fucked that up. Let's try it again, and then I'd do it. I'm I'm not a one take <laughs> kind of guy. So what was what was that? Did that help your like uh, status over here? Yeah, or? yeah, it's huge. What what did what did it mean you could tour over here? What, what I, I still touring over here, but uh, smaller no. venues and. Yeah, now I have, because of it, I have a lot more people who know who I am. What was, what made you, did he, did he offer, I mean, have you been offered other stuff that you've turned down in that area? Or was it like you just know Charlie and it was like, oh, I know he'll produce a good show, I like it. What made yeah, you Yeah, and, and it was, you know, easy. They came to me, and <laughs> a skeleton crew, and we'd, you know, sit there and drink beer on that Bisbee Airport runway. And, you know, I'd just yell for a while, and, I mean, we're not filling that much time, and the you know the bbc they it's six episodes a year or something yeah. like so yeah we knocked that out in a couple of days and then drank all night and hit it again yeah you've 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 talked a lot about bisbee and and your fondness for the area and and uh, for the the compound as well like how that that's that's always really interested me in in do you, do you see it as a home like a social experiment like a what do you how do you view no it's home okay. and i love being there I never sit at home going, fuck, I need to be on the road. I mean, I, I do get itchy feet where I, yeah. I, I'm i going somewhere, but it's not to do comedy. <laughs> let's hit a beach. Let's do something. Let's fly around. Yeah, it feels, um, as I was saying before, with the whole thing that Brian and I did a few years ago, the, the smallest beautiful thing where we were talking about scaling down to, to build up kind of thing. It feels like that's kind of what you've done with, with your personal life as well, with that where you've sort of, moved away from the the hubs of comedy that are new york and la and over there and and sort of gone i'm just gonna do what i want to do rather than try and play your game yeah I, I, I i did some tv when i lived in la and fucking hated it and it's so much more work for s- such little payoff like, we just spent how long to like if i spent that i'm a i'm a stand-up comic i we could do whatever the fuck we want. I go on, you know, I could go up tonight and just eat shit, <laughs> try something completely fucking new, which I don't normally, but I could, and if they don't like it, fuck them. It was an hour of my night. An hour have, of their life. Yeah. yeah. Have a couple of cocktails, take a Xanax, sleep it off, and do something else the next night. Try to, you know, overcompensate. <laughs> But there's no one telling you what to do. TV is so fucking brutal like that. I suppose that's, uh, and again, that ties into social media and podcasting, where you, you can just put out whatever you want. And there's a, there's a freedom to that that I suppose, I suppose, I mean, how, if you, if you had to, um, if you had to give a bit of advice for someone who was maybe uh, hesitant to start their own podcast or their own social media or, or, or do their own fan base rather than maybe chasing an agent or, or TV, what would you say? Well, 
trust me, this the the funniest guys in this business are not in the business of it. They fuck. I, I fuck Facebook. Well, if people are gonna, how are people gonna know where you're playing if they like? Like you gotta have some business acumen. Uh, just uh, I'm against social media. Fuck Twitter. Okay, then fucking languish in obscurity. I'm not. I, I'm not gonna be able to fucking help you. Hmm. I've brought a million of the funniest guys I know on the road, and almost none of them do their own legwork. Hmm. Hey, can you uh, post the? Uh, I, I'm playing Peoria. Will you post the uh, dates on your uh, thing? And I go, okay. And then I go to their social media to find out the dates to repost. And they haven't posted it at all. It's like, what? fuck you. Yeah. It's it's uh, show business. It's 50-50. You got to put some effort. I mean, you did, you did the Edinburgh Festival. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. To what O'Brien brought you over for that, and that's that for us over here is is the be all and end all of the industry. And I suppose how, how was that as an experience for you? Like, well, it's a terrible experience in that. <laughs> Sorry. First of all, I hate I crowds and shit, and. But the, how the industry abuses the artists there, that whole oh my soul to the company store shit where everyone loses money, but not the suits. The suits are fucking making, there's a shitload of money there, and how come the comics aren't making it? So I, I would never do that again. Because so, uh, you won an award as well. Yeah, they made up an award for me, but <laughs> an award is still someone's opinion. Yeah. If, you, if you accept the award and go, hey, I'm great, you also have to accept the email that says you suck and go, oh, I just lost my award because someone else disagrees. So the, the award didn't, awards don't mean or have never meant anything to you or you? It's, it's nice to get, but you have to understand that's just someone else's opinion. Totally. Do, do, you, do you think you're a good comedian now then? I, I would uh, if if comics were voting on comics and no one else was involved. Someone invited me to a, a it was a, an upstart 
I don't even know what it was called. Hey, you've been nominated for the, to get the uh, George Carlin Freedom of Speech Award for some comedy, not Hall of Fame, but some, something like that. And I looked him up, and it was like the first year of it, and they had like no web presence. Like, you're giving away awards to people to try to make your award, you know, worth something. You're wor- <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there is that in Edinburgh where. Um uh, it, you feel sometimes like the award is more trying to boost the brand, like the sponsors yeah. it, rather than the comedians that are doing it. Right, they're using the comedians to bring attention to their brand. Yeah, and and I mean, because there's been a real shift in the last few years of like uh, not uh, journalists not covering comedy as much, and and reviewers uh, covering it still, but it's still I feel like there's there's. And it's just shifted in a weird way, especially with online, uh, with everyone having a blog and everyone having a review. So has has it made it matter less to you because everyone's now got an opinion and everyone's sort of... Well, I haven't won any awards recently, so <laughs> it doesn't really come into play. Uh, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't read press if it's something Brian thinks I'll be excited about, he'll show it to me. But I don't, I don't Google myself. So you, d- you don't have. It's kind of it's kind of refresh it's kind of nice and refreshing because you don't really seem to have an ego in the same way that I feel like some performers over here do in that they want to play the biggest venue or the or the maybe the awards isn't the main thing but they 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 have uh, that it's, never it's ends though that's I still when I go back to L A and you see people that are still they need to get to that next step to like I don't even want to do a set I just want to hang out and drink and talk about shit <laughs> I'm working on this and I don't. I, I've never had a strong work ethic. I'm, I'm easy for me to hang on my laurels. I was going to kind of debate whether you have a strong work ethic or not, but I've, I've heard you in other podcasts, every time someone tries to tell you you have a strong work ethic, come back at them with, with a negative point about your work and, or, or how it's come about. So I, feel I, I have a work ethic for what I do. I'm not going to come back to the same city you know two years later doing the same material mm. but that's you know that's fear based that's, <laughs> that's more not, that's not uh, they, I, they deserve better than this if I could get away with it I probably would but it it sickens me to hear the fucking jokes that many times uh, but I mean I'm not ambitious I don't work on scripts in my off time I don't have a project I'm pushing a TV show I'm pitching I've is that, is that because you... Is there an element of you that thinks, well, my audience want to see me live, they wouldn't want to see a TV script that I've made, or they wouldn't want to... No, the, 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 the impetus is I want to enjoy my time. I don't... <laughs> if I, yeah, if I have a night free, I'm not working on a script if I could hang around and watch... If I could play off hockey with my friends and get hammered. I'd rather do that. How, how Has that always been the case, or is it a case of, like, as you've gotten older, you've, like, time's more important to spend with friends and stuff? I'm sure if, uh, everything's got something to do with getting older. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I've always been a, a sloth and a drunk. Uh, it's used, it used to be just you know, chasing pussy after a show. I don't I don't see last call at bars anymore because <laughs> not chasing, which was actually a, when that you know turned and there was like no more threat of pussy after the show, it really, yeah. Calms you down. Calms you down. It's you're not getting in as much trouble, but you're not. You, you have less fun stories because <laughs> it's usually that 
you know, yeah, this doing is coke or chasing chicks and winding up in a strange place. That's where your fun stories come from. But they're, I have enough of those stories, and they're not fun anymore, and they hurt for too long. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure every let's say heterosexual guy has a story about trying to impress a girl that they're embarrassed about that is funny yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the case isn't it so yeah. wha- do you think if you stopped performing you'd stop drinking then or, or smoking uh, I, 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 if I were to stop drinking I would stop doing comedy but, but I, not necessarily the other way around that's one of the problems is when I do take months off there's no reason to stay sober until showtime. Start drinking at 11.30 in the morning. Hey, it's World Cup from Russia. <laughs> fucking games are starting at 5 a.m. <laughs> fucking go to, let's go to bed at fucking 9. Let's reconvene here at the bar at 5 a.m. and start getting shit-faced. It's always drink a clock at the compound. Yeah. And I just... Because to me, it feels, it feels like the two are intrinsically linked for you. And, and as a result, if, if one ended, the other one would as well and so and so you might pursue other things or you might have a a different outlook if you if if that shift happened like you might go ah maybe i maybe i will work on something because they've got you've got free time i yeah i've taken uh spells off of drinking all right i fucking my booze shakes are getting too bad i'm gonna lock myself up for a couple of weeks watch netflix and not get out of bed and not see anyone we I realize there's so many situations where I, God, I fucking, you know, oh, so-and-so stopping by at one o'clock in the morning. I don't have any social skills till I start drinking. I'm going to start drinking at one and then I'm going to just keep going. And I go, well, you know what? You should j- avoid all these situations where you have to drink <laughs> to be able to tolerate that situation. Do you genuinely think you don't have social skills without drinking? Because if, if they're your friends and, and like family or whatever who are coming around, surely they'll just be okay with who you are. Yeah, well, th- you have those friends, and then you have other people that you know that you have to talk to. I mean, when you have friends that you can say nothing around for hours, and they're doing their own thing, and you know they don't need... You know, Entertaining, yeah, yeah. Then that's fine. But there's there's a handful of those, and there's a bigger handful that just stop by. When, when you take time off, then do you ever worry that you'll lose your slice of the pie as, as such, or your, or your fan base, or some of them will forget you, or, or or have spent their allocation for tickets and things on someone else, or no? Uh, I I used to I used to worry about that, but I live within my means. <laughs> Right. So yeah, if those people drop off, I can afford the loss. It's okay. got, how, how many pe- how many people do you like? Because there's that thousand fans theory that a lot of people band around, where they you know if you can just get a, them to give you things like fifty dollars or whatever, yeah. then y- you can be make a living. Like, how is it a case of in many ways you you'd like to email people and go just you come, don't bring your boyfriend, don't bring your partner. Just we want to keep it well, as small as possible. I, I get that a lot. I get emails. Uh, yeah. I'm g- Coming to see you in Charlotte. Uh, bringing the wife. She's going to fucking hate it. <laughs> Don't bring her. Like, How bad of a relationship are you in that you have to go everywhere together? You, yeah. Like, let her go to the fucking opera she wants to go to and you go to the comedy club. Or the other one that I... Is, uh, yeah, 
I fucking get what you do, man. I try to turn my friends on to you, and they fucking hate you. And I, I, but I get it. You go, that's not really a compliment. You just told me seven people hate me for every one. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, t- that's a bad ratio. Yeah, yeah. But they think it's a compliment. Okay. I think, but do you think that's because, because uh, of the base of people that you attract, they, there's kind of this uh, we get it, they don't vibe. So, so there's kind of a in their mind a. a, a um, a badge of honor. It's a, it's a, like a Jeopardy thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I fucking I knew that answer. Yeah. It's a tough question. I got it. But I suppose that's the double end, double edged sword of the way you do this. Is hey, the double edged sword? Uh, can we pause this? Yeah, sure. Just pause it for a second. While Doug goes and makes a drink, I just wanted to say a few things in the middle of the pod, just because while we were off mic, we were chatting about his outfit. Uh, Doug, if you're not familiar with his act, dresses like a 1970s used car salesman, and um, it's sort of a Larry suit, um, and sort of the... I can't really describe it, you'd have to sort of look it up, but what you're probably imagining now is that... And I loved hearing his answer, but because we didn't get it recorded, I figured I would tell you this as a interim bit while he, as I said, metaphorically goes and makes a drink. Basically, I was asking him about his comedy uniform and why he wears it and how he came up with it. And basically, his response was that it adds an element of glamour. It adds a juxtaposition to the horrible and dark things that he says in his jokes and also makes him feel like he's going to work, which uh, is something that I've been experimenting with in terms of having a consistency and a look on stage. I know a few other friends of mine who have uh, a, it's not a, it's not a character, it's not a persona thing, but it's just like, you know what they're going to look like. You know, I could, I could name a hundred comedians. I, I remember talking to the boy with tape on his face about this as well and how having a consistency in what you look like or having a consistent vibe to you adds to your branding and adds to you know sort of turning off or on people to what you're doing and what you're trying to create and and I found that really interesting and I'm sorry that you're not going to hear his proper answer for that but uh, I thought I'd mention it as it's it's something that I was really happy to hear the answer of and also it was just a bit of um, food for thought I suppose for, for other performers out there who you know may, maybe if you're just starting in comedy and you're just going from work to the gig and you're not getting changed or you sort of just wear whatever you want on stage where you're not really putting a massive amount of thought into your uh look that's something that i don't know it's just something that i've been thinking about a lot and it's something that i'm playing around with as well so i thought i would mention it Doug is doing a run of dates in the UK and Europe. If you're listening to this on the day of release, he's actually doing a gig at the Brixton Academy on the 7th of June 2018. Links are all in the show notes. I'll be at the Brixton Academy gig and I'm really excited. It's, it's going to be a great opportunity to see a master at work performing to an audience of sort of self-selected people who enjoy what he does, which is really exciting and always something that is enjoyable to do whenever I can get a night off from performing myself. So, if you can make it down to one of his gigs, please do. He's doing pretty much all the major cities in the UK, and then he's doing Amsterdam and a bunch of other places in Europe. So, click the link in the show notes to find out information about those. I'm also doing a load of previews of my new show, Up and Down the UK. It's called Sex, Drugs, and Other Things I Never Do. Then I'm going to the Edinburgh Festival, where I'm at the Novotel in the Grass Market every day at 6pm, except Wednesdays, when I get rudely awoken by the dustman. And then I'm on tour, and all links for those are in the show notes as well. But now, without any more delays, let's jump back into the show. And we're back. (laughs) Had a poor cocktail. What'd you have? Vodka soda, splash grapefruit. Nice. Sounds cool. 
You don't drink, I assume? I do, I do. I, I It's kind of weird. I, I used to... So I used to drink when I didn't like myself, and then I stopped, and then I liked myself, and then I started drinking again a bit, and then uh, and then I and then I thought I know what I'll do I'll drink only on dates that are going well or badly because then you know what I mean like they're the only two situations that you either want to be a bit freer or you want to just have gone home but you can't because social whatever and now I kind of do but only when I'm like on a night like I just I, I don't know and also uh, full disclosure I'm taking my mum out tonight for her birthday so oh, nice. I, uh, I don't want to <laughs> Let me drink prior to that. We don't have the relationship for that. So, uh, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, no, I appreciate uh, the because I picked something up on the way here. So, it's all good. Um, but uh, I've forgotten where we were. Have you? Well, it's something about a double-edged sword and deconstructing yeah, comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it, well, yeah, that's it. It's a double-edged sword of of you've you've forged a path in a way that means that. Uh, people who get it come uh, die hard like they love it and so I suppose they like hang on here they come <laughs> the police are not coming to your gigs no no that, that's, that's that's one of my fans being rushed to an emergency room <laughs> I was gonna say. started drinking today for tomorrow's show that's an ambulance right there hang on do you get John Oliver a lot John Oliver yes in what as in do I get you, his stuff no, do you that oh, you yeah, look like it. him? Oh, do I? <laughs> no, I don't. But thank you. You you look like an authentic. You come across as an authentic John Oliver, where John Oliver himself <laughs> acts like he, he. Listening to that guy say the word "fuck" over and over again, like you would never say "fuck." They're forcing you to say this because you're on. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, you're on HBO. HBO. Yeah. Fuck. You're like uh, yeah. you're a geek act. He, I tell you what, frustrates. So I really like his show, but he always shows a clip and then goes, "Holy fuck!" And you're like, "Let me react the way I want to react." Like it's like in advertising where they always go, "Ah, oh, amazing!" And you're like, "No, no, you just tell me what the thing is, and I'll tell you whether I like it. <laughs> I don't need you to tell me how to feel because, frankly, you have no feelings. You're in advertising. That is that is not your area. So uh, I'll take that. I'll take it to the bank. That's, I'm gonna put that on some sort of poster." <laughs> an authentic John Oliver. Yes. Doug Stanhope. Um, but uh, um, do I look like John Oliver? I've, never, I've been told uh, I, I look a little bit. Uh, a, a friend of mine who, who likes me, by the way, I want to make that clear. He says I look like uh, Woody Allen with AIDS, which um, I, I, I think I was thinner when he saw You must have been. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but, You're uh, starting to look like uh, 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 Judd Nelson in the dark backward. Oh, I've not seen that. Yeah, no. I'll just look in the mirror. Like, I don't very few, very few people have uh, seen that, and I. It's a, it's a really dark, like Repo Man style of dark, weird. But it's a stand-up comedy movie, kinda. Was it? Is it like a joke movie, or is it a movie about comedy? It's, you have to see it. There's no way right. to explain it. It's okay. fucking weird. What? What? Do you watch many movies? Are you into? film like no this is uh, something it was a uh, like on the cult sh- shelf back in the vhs days and they'd have yeah. the cult movies <laughs> it would be next to a racer head and repo man that kind of weird dark film yeah yeah do you do you, do you use like the internet to discover new things like that or like no. talent or comedy or no but i remember the days where you'd go on the internet to like find new shit and now it's just a pile of dirty yeah. dishes it's unanswered emails and it's fucking tweets you didn't get back to and DMs and like, I have my you know, one news site that I go to but I uh, I never find new shit 
I I find if you work hard enough, you can find some good stuff, especially on YouTube. I think YouTube is like properly turning into quite a creative hub at the moment. But I, f- I feel like yeah, I watch fucking like street fights, and that goes into murder videos, and you <laughs> could kicked in the balls and well it depends it's the problem it depends on what keywords you're using like <laughs> you get on something you yeah. like yeah uh, the, what's the one with the, uh, uh, the darwin yeah you know, they follow them on twitter oh it's, uh, it's, it's the, 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 the fake Dar- like darwin the, awards it's just yeah. people fucking up it's basically tosh point oh rapid fire yeah yeah and, it, and you don't have to but then you just you did leads you into something else and i'm not watching anything smart I hate what people send you. Hey, you should watch this, you know, forty-minute documentary. What what's it called on Netflix or something? No, it's on YouTube. Well, I don't want to watch something on a fucking laptop for that long. I just I like big screens. <laughs> so it's a weird thing. So is it, you mean like as in the watching are, movies? Movie, like people, would you saw see people like on a plane watching a movie on a cell phone? That's ridiculous. How do you fucking do that? Well, I I'll do it if I have to. <coughs> like that's that's my sort of line on it but I to me it's uh, sort of pissing on the ex- this is the thing is uh, the internet's been great and it's leveled out all the stuff and all that plus points but my problem with it is is like so a lot of TV just goes straight on the internet afterwards and I don't feel like channels are appreciating that we're watching that differently and we're consuming it in a way that you know like I'm sat like here like next to the screen watching that whereas the TV's like on the wall and I'm you know because I don't know, my mum told me never to leave, sit near the TV or whatever, so I don't want to have square <laughs> eyes. But on the computer, I'll never get square eyes, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> That's very but, funny. But it's it's just a weird thing that like you, you don't take into account how people are consuming stuff. So, I, 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 and, I and there's a lot of care that goes into stuff. I mean, when you make uh, like your last special and stuff, and this is another thing I was talking about with Brian at the, the event we did, um, he was talking about how it was just you and him and a skeleton crew who just recorded it, so it was like authentically what you wanted rather than, you know, when you have to produce it for Netflix or whatever, where I hate, I'll tell you the thing I hate about Netflix, right? Every joke lands. I've never seen a single joke die in any <laughs> special ever. And it's like, really? Not one joke died. <coughs> and I, I hate that they film them in front of, you know, 2,000-seat audiences, where I know a lot of these comics thrive in a small room. Mm. Jim Norton, who's fucking, mm. like, the, the audience applauding at the queue of the warm-up guy that went out, applauded everything, and like I can see where you're killing his timing. Like he's a rapid fire, and you're you don't know where the punchline is, so you just start clapping, and it probably fucked up half his joke. Yeah, and they, like I cut out. Now I've learned. I just cut out the. There's no, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage. I just fucking cut to whatever intro me from a pot right into the first bit that I have because i'll go out and i'll address the elephants in the room and listen his fucking cameras if i fuck something up i'll do it again you'll pretend to laugh <laughs> and you have a funny shirt and you when there's so and so and address all the that that was that was uh so i can't remember what special it was but louis ck did a special where he just came out from the side they weren't applauding and he just went house lights house lights down just start we're starting we're starting i'll do all the announcements and ever since that watching that i've just gone yeah why why do we have to ramp it up so much? Like, it's it's just someone standing there telling jokes. It's not... I get so, like, again, the, the short attention span that we have. Yeah. Just having to listen to the audience applaud for fucking nine seconds while they do the, oh, thank you, yeah. oh, thank you, thank you. Cut so that I've, out. I've done nothing. 
Like, I've not earned that. I don't feel like it's, you know, yes. Get I'm to the point. <laughs> <laughs> Get to the punchline. Yes. It's more to the point, man. So so you wouldn't, I assume you, you would sell stuff to Netflix. I mean, you've obviously got some stuff on there now. I mean, is it, is it, do they have, do they get any creative control over stuff when you sell that to them or is it a case of I, you go I've got this do you want it from from what I hear they're very uh, mysterious they're the Illuminati like mm. hey how do you who's your contact at Netflix don't have one they get a hold of someone and no one knows who's in charge send a crow and yeah, it's just just the, <laughs> it's fucking the Bilderberg group yeah uh I don't know how they operate because I've been trying to get them on this for a while and like every time I talk to someone they go we don't have a contact and you're like but you've sold like four how did you do that it's then because there's no upload button like YouTube I'll tell you that so yeah but I mean do, do you watch do you have a Netflix do you, do you bother with it then or is it just quite frustrating I, I, well I, I'm really bad uh, like smash things that when they don't work bad and fucking Netflix always uh, it's you're not connecting and like what the fuck and then I have to call Chaley and so if I get it working I'll get on a jag if I have time off which it seems there's less and less hmm. yeah I'll go on a Netflix jag but as soon as I get that screen or it starts fucking buffering or fucking rebooting itself like fuck this you just spend me a goddamn DVD they worked yeah <laughs> Uh, so uh, we were talking before about your fan base and, and your connection to the fan base and I suppose because you've been doing that uh, adding them to a mailing list and emailing them directly for so long there's that connection but like you said also you get a lot of um, uh, I, I, I don't want to say because they're your fans so you could probably say this in a, in a, in a more endearingly nice way but like you said uh, some people who have mental health issues and, and there's, there's, a, there's a base there and and I wondered what responsibility, if any, you feel for for looking after them or for caring about. I yeah, no, it's not my responsibility. If I'm, you know, I I read my emails, mm. but uh, I just usually folder them. If it's not a you know something that needs to be addressed, I don't because the the problem is, hey, you, I just want to say you're my favorite comic and you got me through tough. Once you write back, hey, thank you very much, they think that's the beginning of a friendship right. <laughs> too, uh, too often. And, hey, when you, I was going to say, sorry that you're going to Eugene, Oregon. You should go to the fucking, fucking Yunts Festival. And I, oh, okay, thanks. And they'll, <laughs> they'll just keep going. Mm. So you don't want to foster f fake relationships. I read them and... Uh, I let them know on the podcast, hey, thanks for the nice emails. And occasionally I'll get into a beef. <laughs> but I check my emails early in the morning with a hangover. I like, fuck you. Who do you think you are? Is it? Does it wane on you, though, when you get... Because I'm imagining if you got, let's say, 50 emails in a day that were saying, I was going to do the bad thing or, or whatever it was. It, that, that's got to... That's got to feel a bit of pressure on you that you got them through that, that there's that there's a not an accountability I suppose that's the wrong word but there's a you're providing something I, there. I know what you're saying yeah. uh, does that have a wane on you uh, sometimes when it uh, like when it's come to fruition where yes yeah, that person did kill themselves and yeah, yeah there's, there's a few times mm. and, uh, I sp and I suppose being disconnected from them in that way means that it, it can hurt less or, it, or at least means that you well, yeah. Sometimes you're you're closer to the people. Yeah, that's that's not a random person. I've met that person. I've talked to them right up until the minute they actually killed themselves. Yeah. And and at the moment, then it feels like are you 
Are you trying to narrow down your base of fans to just the hardcore ones, or is it you would like to continue to to expand it, or is it if you're one? Oh, I I I, I don't. It's not an issue. It's not something I can control. But no, I don't go out of my way to find new fans. If you find me, you find me. It's a. I, how, how do you feel? I'm about not in the public eye. Yeah. If you know about me, someone turns you on to me. You like me. I'm glad to have you. But uh, you can you can walk down the street and no one, or most of the time, no one stops you. Yeah, that's uh, that's the, the the repeating joke is I'm only famous on the night of my show, within a hundred yards of my show for an hour before and after the show, and otherwise that's it. I always I always say to people, name dropping only works when you know the name. Yeah, I love that when people go, yeah. hey, got to meet this guy. He's a famous comedian. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? You're famous? Well, no, not if you, no. <laughs> you have to ask. <laughs> you shouldn't ask. have to say it, no. Yeah. So, so do, you don't, do you mind if someone uh, pirates or puts up some of your stuff online so that you know more people can discover it? No, I encourage stealing if it's a product I've already put out. If I've recorded a special, I don't give a shit if you steal it. Steal it, share it. Uh, it's just don't film shit I'm doing now. Wait till I film it and put it out, and then yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah, there'll be a commercial release. <laughs> um, I tell you, I've got the last quick fire questions for you. Sure. Because um, we're just about to wrap up. Um, so these are quick fire for me. You answer them however you want to answer them. Um, what's the best show you've ever seen? Uh, see, it's superlatives uh, at this point, like the best show I've ever seen. I've. S- it can be like a TV thing or a, or a stand-up special. It can be. Uh, I'm just pulling stuff out of my ass. Otto and George at the Chicago Comedy Festival just breaking himself down. He's a puppet act. It was really filthy. He died a few years ago, but he was in front of all of industry at the Chicago Comedy Festival, and the puppet is yelling at him, which all these things that all of industry knows about him. Shut the fuck up. You're not funny. You're a crack addict and you don't show up for gigs. You think they're going to fucking book you because you're having a good night here? They know you fucking smoke crack. You don't show up for gigs. And I'm literally falling out of my seat in a the theater, fucking dying laughing. Uh, and I, But I'm sure there's a million stories like that. Brian Holtzman's fucking meltdowns. And is, is, that, is that because you have, I, I have a similar one if you do as well, like the voice in your head that does that the whole time where they're like, they're never going to book you again after that performance. Did but you that's see how, yeah. shit that I would, like, I'm on stage and I can't stop myself from saying, and mm. even Hedberg, would have that he couldn't not comment on how, all right, that joke didn't work. But I, I bet I can win him back. He, but when you have it coming through a fucking puppet, yeah. when the puppet is actually that voice in your head, yeah. it was hilarious. Especially how like hardcore true it was. Yeah. What do you think of the biggest? Uh, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made, and how did you overcome it? Oh, see, these are the fucking the worst and the best and the. Well, no, they, they the get, worst they get. mistake I ever made. I don't know if I've made one. You can think you can think like the, they weren't mistakes because you learned from them, kind of thing. If that's yeah, yeah, these are email questions. Okay, this is where you go. All right, and then I sit around and have a few drinks, and you go, oh fuck. But uh, okay, what? Uh, well, I'm going to rephrase this one then, so it's not an email question. But uh, if you could change a thing or, or one thing about the comedy industry, what would it be? Oh, that'd be a lot. <laughs> the 
the comedy industry. Comedy clubs themselves, like the, in the 80s when the, the, the whole the formula started. There's a 15-minute opener, and then there's a 30-minute middle act, and then there's a 45-to-an-hour headliner. You go to towns where they don't have a pool of enough comics, but they'll still use this. So people will know not to show up until a headliner because there's no law that says you have to have you know, that amount of time and that allotment. And uh, in the States, that's one thing I'd do is take the UK, Canada model where you have the better guy first and then put the, the newest act in the middle for a shorter amount of time. We put up the fucking worst guy first. Okay, I oh, that that worries me. I went to <laughs> I went to New York in January and I was on opening for a lot. <laughs> I had no idea. I thought that's going really well because over here you put the sort of solid opener and then the break and and then there's like sort of the things there. So that's uh and that's why like guys like Hedberg when he started as an MC like he's hilarious but he's not a guy who's gonna go any birthday parties here and all that mm. shit that they. Doing announcements, you can't have a Hedberg doing announcements. You have to have a guy that has hosting abilities, mm. and they put too little effort into that. But uh, that's nothing I'm involved with. Uh, L- last question: If you could go back to yourself before your first gig and give yourself one bit of advice, what would it be? I would shut the fuck up. I would not give me any advice because it, it was that that, that pure innocence and lack of self-awareness that got me to where I was because like everyone I sucked shit when I started I don't want to talk to future me because then I I wouldn't spend that many years being a fucking horrible piece of shit comic just saying dumb things to because I thought they'd get laughs and have no point of view to yeah I would just let him go. Let the kid go. Let him grow into his own. You'd watch him and go, you're fucking awful. Like you're yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't even talk to me after a show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks. That was Doug. I loved hearing about how he moved from the open mic circuit to the paid circuit. It's always interesting uh, in the, the amount of of performers shifts the industry in a way that you kind of can't help and can't predict and uh, you know it sounds like sort of an obvious thing but I find it really interesting hearing about how people who had less competition still differentiated themselves and still had to carve out a niche uh, I loved his talk about his problems with clubs at the moment and how he avoids them because he just knows that his work won't necessarily work there and I think that's something that a lot of performers kind of come to realize after a while is that you know what you can't play every room and that's not a bad thing it's it's actually probably a really good thing because it means that you can smash the shit out of the rooms that you can play i also like the fact that he has such connection with his fans that he's aware of but he's also got his boundaries and he's also keeps some of himself to himself which is something that i think is increasingly hard to do especially when you're dealing with such a personal connection with fans but also with such an ongoing relationship with fans that he's opened himself up to so it was really great to hear him be a bit introspective and a bit self-reflective in that way Doug is doing a run of dates in the UK and Europe if you're listening to this on the 
day of release. He's actually doing a gig at the Brixton Academy on the 7th of June 2018. Links are all in the show notes. I'll be at the Brixton Academy gig and I'm really excited. It's, it's going to be a great opportunity to see a master at work performing to an audience of sort of self-selected people who enjoy what he does, which is really exciting and always something that is enjoyable to do whenever I can get a night off from performing myself. So if you can make it down to one of his gigs, please do. He's doing pretty much all the major cities in the UK and then he's doing Amsterdam and a bunch of other places in Europe. So click the link in the show notes to find out information about those. I'm also doing a load of previews of my new show up and down the UK. It's called Sex, Drugs and Other Things I Never Do. Then I'm going to the Edinburgh Festival where I'm at the Novotel in the Grass Market every day at 6pm except Wednesdays when I get rudely awoken by the dustman. And then I'm on tour and all links for those are in the show notes as well. Uh, Quick thank yous to Louise Kovacs, Steve McCann and Brian Hennigan for making this happen. Steve McCann actually has an episode of his radio series with Doug as well, which I'd highly recommend and you should look it up. There's a link in the show notes. If you like this episode, as I mentioned in the middle bit of the pod, you can find other episodes with other comedians of this ilk. Uh, For example, Richard Herring, the boy with tape on his face, Milton Jones, loads of the biggest names possible in comedy, as well as people from behind the scenes who make comedy happen, including TV commissioners, radio producers and agents. So if you're interested about the business of comedy, you're interested about how and why things get made, this could be the podcast for you. If you're new here and you think that's something you might be interested in, please do hit that subscribe button. If you're old here, please do give us an honest review in iTunes. And either way, please do consider giving us a donation to help keep the project going. You can either do that on Patreon as an ongoing subscription or you can do it as a one-off on my website via PayPal. The RC Industry Podcast is a Fruit That Got In Gravity's Way production for the internet. All elements were created by me, comedian Simon Kane. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing. And thank you very much for rating and donating if you do. Bye. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.